Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. And as you can see, I'm a lot happier. Hey everybody, this is Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. This is uh, episode number 153. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, and you can help support Batman Universe by heading to patreon.com slash batmanuniverse. So Tim, yes, I, um, I rewatched Justice League, right? Oh, wow. I was... I take it you rented it, right? Yeah, yeah, I didn't buy it. I'm surprised you even did that. <laughs> I didn't buy it, and um, I, I think I have a finer grasp of um, where all of the DCU movies um, sort of rank, right? Mm-hmm. So, so just going from an A to an F scale. Okay, um, let's see. <clears throat> um, Man of Steel. It started off good, then it kind of ended just with cartoons fighting. So I'm gonna give it, give that one a C plus, a C plus. Okay, sounds um, about right from your reviews and what you talked about it on several episodes. Okay. Yeah, and then um, Batman versus Superman. I'm gonna probably give it a D minus, okay. a D a, a D minus because. It had some good scenes, but for the most part, it wasn't very good. Um, and just uh, sorry, uh, Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. I am going to give that a straight F. <laughs> oh, I, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. Um, did you ever see that again? Like when it came out? No. Like digitally? <laughs> okay, so it's still at one time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one was enough for me. Um, Wonder Woman. I'm gonna give it an A minus, uh, just because nice. it, it it didn't really have a good villain, a memorable villain. I felt, um, but okay. everything, er- <laughs> yeah, everything besides that is great. And finally, Justice League, it's gonna go, <laughs> it's gonna be a D minus uh, again. Same as BVS, okay. Yeah, just because it didn't really have that much story behind it. The writing wasn't very good. Directing wasn't very good. Um, even some of the acting, especially from Ben Affleck, who was just kind of just saying the lines, you know. <laughs> I know you're not the first one to say that. But yeah. So I, not the criticism what's going on there. There were some good parts, like uh, with Wonder Woman. Uh, some of the cyborg scenes, I'd say. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he he actually had more of a, or I actually came out of my rewatch of uh, Justice League actually liking Cyborg the best out of all of them. Okay, well that's good. Yeah, even though we did, we, we kind of didn't get his whole story, his whole back or, or yeah backstory, um, mm-hmm. I felt that you know what we did get was was good. So so probably. Cyborg is probably the best character in that movie. Um, Flash I could do without. Aquaman I could do without. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Batman, just because he's Batman, you know, gotta gotta keep him in there somehow. So yeah. uh, uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah, of you course. gotta love that opening sequence with him, though. <laughs> just from a visual standpoint, from being a Batman fan, how cool that looked. Yeah, um, Wonder Woman, of course, was good. Yeah. Uh, don't know. I still don't know why Commissioner Gordon's in it. <laughs> I mean, that's just <laughs> that, that's just. Why not? Like, they had to get uh, information from someone on those missing scientists. So why not have it be Gordon? Yeah. How how about have it be a scientist? You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all, all all he does is like a, a scene transition scene, right? Like, okay, we need to get our characters from here to there. So how do we do it? Okay, Commissioner Gordon says there's some weird things going on in Gotham Harbor or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, D minus for that one. Um, is well, that all of the DC movies? Was that a what? I'm sorry. Was that all of the DC movies? Oh yeah. He, yeah. That's it so far. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I said that those grades are consistent from all the reviews you gave yeah. on all the movies. When we talked about <laughs> now I'm trying to think of how I would grade them. I'd probably give, they're obviously going to be higher than you. <laughs> You'll probably right, pick them right. too high for some of them. <laughs> I'm going to give Man of Steel an A because that's still my favorite DCEU movie. I love it. It's grown, it's grown on me. I remember seeing it the first time. I liked it, but the it, it was so different and so uniquely structured. It took a while for really to get used to it and appreciate it. But despite despite a few little nitpicks here and there, I still love that movie. So that's an A. It uh, it, it kind of makes me sad uh, because. Mana still started start, started off really well, like I said, um, with the flashback sequences and you know Clark just mm-hmm. having some growing pains, you know. Yeah, that awesome. was great. I just wish they stuck with that. They should have just stuck with that. See, that's why I liked. That. I think they served their purpose well in the movie, and it all culminated into which I think I know gets a lot of criticism. I don't agree with it with the with a great acting sequence with Superman and Zod at the end, seeing Superman in an active sequence like that, like we had never seen before, and I ate it up. So <laughs> that yeah. completed the nice package of the movie for me. Yeah. And BVS, I'm going to give that one a C. Wow. Uh, that, yeah. y- y- you're surprising me, Tim. I didn't think it'd be that low. <laughs> well, I thought it'd be like a B. <laughs> no, no, I, th- I thought it would be like a B plus, A minus uh, in that area. Yeah, because I still have that disappointment when I first saw it, because it's yeah. not the Batman it's not the first Batman Superman team up movie that I think <laughs> that I wanted to see. And that I think as great as it could have been, there's some great stuff in there, great performances in there. Ben Affleck's great as Batman. The action sequences at the end, their fight was cool. I even enjoyed the fight with the Trinity against doomsday, which I know a lot of people didn't like, but I dug it just too much of a convoluted plot to get them to fight. There's a lot <laughs> of unnecessary plot stuff in there that drags it down for me. So and plus some characterization choices with Batman and Superman that weren't the best. So. You know what I keep on forgetting about Batman versus Superman? What's that? That Jimmy Olsen was in. in oh, that right. movie. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, that's one of those things where yeah. didn't need to be. <laughs> I know it's supposed <laughs> to be a nod or a wink to fans. Hey, Jimmy Hill's about to shoot him and kill him off that quickly. It's like, yeah, don't have a beat Jimmy. <laughs> so, so, so Jimmy Olsen isn't really a photographer then in the Batman versus Superman world, <laughs> right? Just a military agent. Yeah, yeah I, I guess who so. poses as a photographer. <laughs> and then for Suicide Squad, I'm I'm just gonna have that a little lower than BVS. I'm gonna give that one to C minus. Yeah. I I really enjoyed it. I I know my biggest complaint about it is. The main story of Enchantress being the villain and, you know, the plot device to get the team together. I thought that that didn't work, but I did like the cast of characters and the performances for most of them. So, yeah, I dug it still. That probably is my least favorite of the DCEU movies, though. Wonder Woman is going to get an A- minus for me pretty much just because it's – I can't put it in A because I like Man of Steel just a little bit better. But, yeah, Wonder Woman's great, and I don't even have the – or think Ares was a weak villain – as you were saying, I like the mystery surrounding it. Like his presence was just there of affecting the world, world war one. But it turns out, you know, he was, I forget his name, that, that general though, which was a cool twist. I wouldn't have seen coming if I didn't know the actor who was playing him and they revealed that he was playing Ares already. But <laughs> if I didn't know that going in, I thought it would have been a cool reveal. And I did like, and that ending sequence too, a lot of the ending sequences of the DCU, I know it gets a lot of flack <laughs> from certain fans. Even wonder woman got it. And I, I don't agree with it because I love that ending sequence too with Ares putting on the armor that we're familiar with and for the comics. And it was just a cool action sequence. So, and then Justice League, I'm going to give that one a solid B. And it's weird. It's probably just the fan, like the DC fanboy in me. I just enjoy that movie so much. Maybe I enjoy watching it more, maybe even a little bit more than Wonder Woman, but I know Wonder Woman's a better made movie. So that's why I didn't get the higher grade, but I just watching Justice League again on Blu-ray. I just really, really did <laughs> dig what they did for the most part. I get all the problems that are there, the reshoot stuff and the visual effects on certain sequences and well, the different story ideas that weren't used and, you know, all the drama that went around in there. But at the end of the day, I just enjoy seeing my some of my favorite characters on screen being portrayed for the most part very well in the movie with some cool action sequences. So, again, yeah, I agree that. The plot is pretty thin on Justice League, but at the same time, it's so character-based that the most important part of the movie for me is how they treated the characters and how they interact with each other, and I think they got that pretty right for the most part. So I'd give that one a solid B. Yeah, but even that, you see, I, like I, I kind of have a problem with that because um, I think that the story isn't very strong in the sense of the actual Justice League, where it. It, the, there's no it's it's not written very smoothly it's it's more like batman gets these guys and all of a sudden they're best the, the they're the best of friends you know and then well, they, they kind of build i felt that was kind of standard for those type of movies where you know they didn't start off when they get the team together they all don't agree and they have their issues but by the time they defeat the bad guy their friends and all that i think that's pretty standard and maybe even a cliche for these type of team up movies so that didn't really bother me too much but I will say this going into Justice League, knowing what happened at Bat- in Batman v Superman, I already knew it was going to be an aspect of it that I didn't like. And I still don't. Is that, you know, the point of it, well, you're getting the Justice League team together because Superman's already dead. I really think it was a mistake to go that route. It would have been better. You know, they didn't kill Superman off for various reasons. But to start a Justice League, I'd like to have him involved more in it than just to show up at the very end. So 
that's one thing that I just kind of have to accept for what the story they chose to do is, even though I doesn't necessarily think it was the best. But going into it, I already knew that was going to be an issue. So maybe I just learned to deal with it more because it's been a few years since BBS, and we knew that since then. Yeah, and and of course, like you said, the the CGI in um, in that movie is <laughs> it it it's not very very good. It it's, it it looks like a a 2010 video game cutscene <laughs> <laughs> in, in some scenes with um, uh, Steppenwolf. Um, and I'll be honest though, I, like going into it, like I just keep hearing how awful the CG is in yeah. it. And there's definitely shots where it's not good. I'm not going to deny that. But I did not think it was as bad as everyone made it out to be. Or the whole movie was distracting because of bad CGI. I didn't get that feeling at all. Just in a few shots though. Yeah, because if if you don't noticed. if you don't look at their faces, um, <laughs> they, like, like like the faces are are really bad, especially the lip syncing on um, Steppenwolf. Like mm, some of those yeah. scenes just didn't work. And of course, uh, Superman's mustache CGI. <laughs> Did you see uh, like a video Henry Cavill posted on posted on I could say it right posted on Instagram. No, I didn't. Where he's finally shaving the mustache, kind no, of like didn't. saying a goodbye to it. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> He's like looking in the mirror going, I can't believe it's gone. I mean, <laughs> it's not CGI this time. It's the real thing. I shaved it off. <laughs> it was funny. So so what that means is um, Superman originally didn't, didn't have a lot of scenes in Zack Snyder's cut. Yeah, and I think, I mean, no one knows for sure, but he was supposed to be pretty much evil for the most part of the movie. Oh, I see. Which I wouldn't have gone because that's kind of one of the changes they made. Well, I guess when Joss Whedon came on board, which I was kind of happy they did with because they need to see another Superman yeah. <laughs> be evil for the rest of the movie. He was when he was evil in the part that did make it where he first gets resurrected. That sequence is great. I love that. But that's all it needed to be. So I'm glad he kind of snapped out of it and became the Superman we all wanted to see by the end. So that is a change I felt was was better than what was originally intended. Yeah, even that was was um, kind of rushed, you know, him being a bad yeah. guy. And then, um, and, and, to, and to be honest, I, I kind of fast forwarded through all, all of the, um, lo- taking Lois to Smallville and, <laughs> <laughs> and going to the old house. And, uh, and so it was a really short movie watch for you. Like it's just barely, it hits the two hour mark on the dot. And <laughs> if you were forwarding, oh, does it, does it? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of fast forwarded through that part and, I think the next scene they're on the the Justice League is on the airplane, I think, or in the Justice League copter or whatever. The Justice League copter, yeah, or whatever that thing is. <laughs> it's called the technical term is the Fox. The Fox, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and still, don't know why Batman needed goggles for the for his um, for the end <laughs> of the movie. I mean, they serve no purpose. Yeah. Didn't really bring anything to the team there. Yeah, because he takes them off after he leaves the Batmobile. So yeah, I mean, I I, I, yeah. you never see them again. So. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Um, also, I the 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 ending where um, where Bruce buys the bank mm. that um, bought or foreclosed on Martha Kent. Yeah, uh, something doesn't make sense to me, right? So you buy the bank, right? Um, that owns the house, but okay. you would have been a lot cheaper. It, it would have been a lot cheaper just to buy the house from the bank, 
right? And even if he did buy the bank, the the house would still be the bank's property, not not Bruce Wayne's property, the bank's property. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> so I mean, how did <laughs> how did he think that? I mean. Maybe he uh, just wanted it to sound more impressive to Clark, you know, to make up for all that he did. To, oh, okay. <laughs> to yeah, I mean, yeah. he really did buy the house and then bought the bank. <laughs> yeah, but he would still have to sign it over to Martha Kent. Uh, otherwise, yeah, they it did would that be his too. name. On, okay, what, whatever. <laughs> whatever you say, Tim. Uh, see, the stuff you think about that I don't when yeah. I watch these movies. <laughs> no, it just struck me, you know, like, okay, so he bought the bank, but... That's a bank asset. That's not a Bruce Wayne asset. You know, he he, he doesn't inherit it, it inherit the bank's assets. You know, it belongs to the bank. I guess when but, it's all said and done, he has the final say on whatever happens. Like I guess for these type of decisions. Yeah, I guess. So can, <laughs> say, you know what? Let her live there. <laughs> um, but I guess on the positive side of things, Tim, I have to say the more the the more I watch the Last Jedi the more it's becoming my favorite Star Wars movie. Wow. Uh, still, I only got a few more days now <laughs> until we get the Blu-ray it's, as we're recording yeah. this episode. So it's been a long wait. It almost feels longer than waiting like the last two weeks for the actual movie to come out in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because knowing other people already have it digitally. Well, plus two, it's, it's it feel longer. Wasn't it two weeks you have to wait? Yes. Before the physical release? Like, yep. I don't know. They, they they should have just did a worldwide, all platforms release, right? Uh, okay. Yeah, you know how much I hate those early digital releases. Yeah, <laughs> thankful it wasn't like Justice League where it was a month or I had to wait for the Blu-ray. <laughs> um, I guess just my general thoughts on the Last Jedi. The final act does run a little long. Um, you know when they're they're kind of in the bunkers and the secret hideout. Uh-huh. Um, everything leading up to that. Um, could have been shortened, but besides that, um, I can see why people don't like it. Uh, people don't like The Last Jedi in general um, because it's it's not black and white, right? It's not nope. good guy <laughs> versus bad guy. It's It gets into a little gray area, and I guess people don't like that, you know? I guess people like okay, it's the Jedi versus the Sith. It's the Empire versus the Republic, you know? Um, and it just mainly was Luke. I think that's the big thing, too, as far as making him that way is what turned a lot of people off, which you got to look deeper, though, to yeah. <laughs> realize how, you know, complex and what I come to appreciate now is such a great arc for the character to go through in this movie. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing that I think people should have waited for the digital or the Blu-ray release because you get to pause and rewind and watch it again rather than just, you know, not being able to do that, right? Because um, it definitely it definitely takes another rewatch. I mean, to yeah. at least see it twice because I'm sure there's some fans out there who only seen it once, didn't like it, don't want to see it again. But it's I think it's something that requires a second viewing. Maybe it won't change your mind, but speaking from my own experience that I know other fans who I've talked to, like sec- second viewing, you just... Come, you just absorb it a little better and appreciate certain ways they went, at least for me, <laughs> how when the story that they're trying to tell, how good of a story it is, even though you might not agree with certain aspects of it. Yeah, if, or they I take mean, care. Especially if you, if you have a hard time with the Luke Skywalker story, uh, 
I'd highly recommend when whenever you get your Blu-ray or if you already have your digital release, I highly recommend you rewatch. I mean, just skip straight to it. Don't watch the entire movie. Just skip straight to the the Yoda scene on um, oh, I forget the island uh, Octo. Oct- yeah, yeah, Octo, um, where he appears next to the tree. Uh, watch that and rewatch that again, and just really listen to what he's saying. Because I think a lot of people missed what he was saying, yeah. or and or didn't like what he was saying, um, especially when I think it comes it's more to the a, Jedi. I think it's more of a miss because especially if you saw it like opening night, opening weekend, and you only saw it once. Yeah, you have to get through all the clapping and cheering people were just doing for Yoda to oh, hear what he yeah. says. So. Yeah, yeah, because right. I know I didn't pick up most of his dialogue <laughs> the first time I saw it. Yeah, like I I just skipped straight to that scene because. Um, I mean, especially for me, like, for, for someone who actually liked the movie upon first seeing it, um, I, I had missed a lot in that scene. So, yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend whenever you get your hands on a copy then to, to, to just straight uh, go straight to that scene because you definitely missed a lot. And if you, if you feel the same way coming out of it and you still don't like the Luke Skywalker story, then, you know, that's I mean, there's nothing that's that can be done and yeah don't waste time <laughs> yeah don't waste time sending petitions it. <laughs> and all that something will change it it's not changing i i still can't believe people did that <laughs> uh sent petitions and i mean even mark hamill didn't like it right that i got blown out of proportion too he said he didn't when he first started filming and reading the script he didn't agree with the direction they were taking him but once yeah. You know, you talked to the Ryan Johnson, they were actually filming the movie and doing it. Then he came to appreciate what they were doing with his character and his story. It's kind of like, <laughs> almost like my experience, really, with the character. Yeah. <laughs> Not agreeing with it at first, right. but then coming to appreciate and just understanding better, I guess, the more you absorb yourself into the story. Yeah. To how it, yeah, so he came around on it like uh, <laughs> like other fans did, too. Yeah, and it's it's slowly becoming my favorite Star Wars movie, Tim. Well, I, that's awesome to hear. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's it's character progression. They, I mean, I don't think people really give Ryan Johnson the credit that he deserves when it comes to character progression because I mean, these characters are totally in a different place than where they once were. Uh, especially, yeah. like you said, like everybody said, Luke. You know, um, he he's not that guy that you expected him to be. Um, same thing with Ray. She's not that person that you uh, expected her to be. Um, Kylo Ren, kind of, you, you know, you you expected to him to take over the as supreme leader, but um, yeah, it's it's just the character progression, and pe- I guess people don't like um, you know character progression and uh, sort of the 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 muddiness of the good guy versus the bad guy. Um, and I, I, I just love it. Um, it's, it's probably, you, you know what, it's, it's probably my favorite Star Wars movie. It's definitely the Star Wars movie I've thought about the most. Um, and yeah, I love it. So if, if you still have questions about it, you know, definitely wait till you get to the, get the Blu-ray or the digital download and rewatch it. Um, and pause and rewind if you don't quite understand what the, what the characters are saying. You know, um, it, it it definitely helps. I just want my copy. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to watch it. I want to watch all the special features. I want to 
yeah. see it with the commentary. I can't wait for that. Like, I'm dying to hear what Ryan Johnson has to say on the commentary. Have you heard it yet? No, I haven't. I um, I just finished the uh, documentary. It, it's okay. a really well done documentary. I mean, it's I've heard great things about it. Yeah. It, it, it goes into everything. I mean, it, it, even like what color? I don't know. It, it like it, even like the smallest little detail is filmed. I mean, I don't know why <laughs> they did it, but I'm, I was glad to see it. So awesome. Yeah. It's, few more days. Few more days. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, I guess we can now get into our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. Um, we're going from minute one hundred one to one hundred two, right? Yep. Wait, is that what I have queued up? Hold on, I have to check my VHS copy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah one hundred one to one hundred two. Okay. Um, yeah, so so grab your VHS copy, grab your HD DVD, grab your Beta Max, um, grab your projector grab your blu-ray grab your dvd grab your netflix physical subscription um dvd uh grab your blockbuster rental uh and grab your gamefly rental i think a uh, laser disc and grab your laser disc of course how could i forget those and giant forgot, things and you forgot the new one from last week what was or our it, last Tim? episode what, what was it the VHS to DVD converter. Oh, right. Yeah. How can I forget about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, grab your VHS to DVD converted movie for some reason. <laughs> for some reason, you just had to have it on a disc and you didn't want to go out and buy a disc. <laughs> you put, a, put a dead format to another dead format. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, just grab any of those and those only don't grab your Blu-ray, uh, don't grab your 4k, uh, copy, uh, grab that and, um, just queue it up to the 101st minute and I'm going to give the countdown. So Tim, are you ready? I am set. All right. Three, two, one, hit play. In I'm still mi- in the middle of Bane's speech. Yeah. In the middle of Bane's speech. It's longer Hang than I remember. Yeah. <laughs> when you do it minute by minute, it's a pretty long sequence. But it's ending here. I did like how it ends where it just close up on the bomb and they just shut the door to the truck. Yeah. You know, shutting the door in pain speech. Yeah, Bruce is just falling out of bed, groaning as the subtitle said right there. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll see if we'll make it here in the next 30 seconds. Well, this is where you know the inmate's going to fix his back. Yeah, what that- happened to his back? Did he dislocate it? Mm. I don't think I was, they didn't say it was no bro- broken like Nightfall yeah. was, but he he injured it. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. What they snapped it on his on his knee right there. Maybe he just needed to see a chiropractor. Just needed to be straightened up a little bit. Which is what this guy's going to provide. <laughs> this is prison medicine. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're just to stop right. We're getting to the middle of the Bane's origin story. No, oh, no. Oh, but, I'm before to get into that. But um, I'm really interested to hear about your future topic for this episode, Tim. Yes, well, this was almost 30 years in the making. <laughs> As this past Tuesday, I finally got to see Batman 1989 in the movie theaters. And boy, was it a dream come true. Because, um, like I said, never saw it in the theaters when it first came out. So almost 30 years in the making going to be 29 years this june which is hard to believe so 
gonna recount my experience of seeing this classic Batman movie on the big screen for the first time. Just kind of reminisce too about what it was like seeing it for the first time. How, how how did you see it? I mean, was your theater showing uh, like a was it like a just a one off thing or was it like a promotion thing or no? Yeah, well, it's it? cool. Uh, my local theater, it's the Harkins Theater. Every Tuesday, they show classic movies. Uh, so I knew it. They've been doing it for a few years now, and I always waited. Oh, man, if they do Batman, like, I cannot miss that. This is going to be my chance to finally see it in the theater. And they finally did this past Tuesday. They show, like, a wide variety of movies. Like, they show like, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, and Gone with the Wind was before Batman, Cry to Kids later on. So it's a wide spectrum of genres for, you know, old classic movies. But Hey, did you see they're making a Cry to Kid TV show? Yeah, for YouTube. Oh, for YouTube. Yeah. The, the YouTube Red? Mm. Oh, no. That's... Yeah. <laughs> that's... Uh, like... Okay. I, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sure they're trying to use that as to get people to subscribe to that, yeah. but I'd, I'd want to check that series out, but I don't know if I want to get a YouTube Red account <laughs> just for that. I mean, Ralph, Ralph Macchio's back, and the, the bad guy, I can't remember yep. his name, so... Johnny something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's called Cobra Kai, isn't it? Mm, I think the whole premise of he's bringing back that dojo, you know, that of course Who, the blonde caused, guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, so hey, so he's not going to have that. <laughs> yeah, Daniel's going to have to like karate fight his way <laughs> <laughs> to shut it down. I guess. <laughs> to shut it down. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see what the actual plot is going to be, but yeah, the trailers had me intrigued. I will say that. Really? Does it look good? I think so. For what it is, yeah. I mean, of course, they're older and they're karate geese. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, I'd, I'd be interested to check it out if it wasn't on the YouTube Red. Yeah. Well, I do have YouTube Red, so. Oh, well, you can let me know how it is. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have to. Um, it's going to be yeah. a new feature on our podcast, Cobra Kai Reviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyway, back to Batman 89. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast. I don't know if I got into as much detail as I'll go into now, but I never got to see it in the theater because my parents felt it was you know, too dark for me as a six-year-old kid to go see it. But that did not stop me from you know, absorbing all the hype surrounding the film. And even though I never got to see it when it originally came out in 1989, it was still a fun time to be a Batman fan. Uh, I just have great memories of the lead-up to that because uh, I... Tried as much as I could to absorb all that I can of the movie without actually seeing it. I mean, I was parents were nice enough to, to get me most of the toys of, that came out. I got all the main figures: Batman, Joker, Bob the Goon, <laughs> the Batmobile, the Batwing. Got all those toys. But the big collectibles I probably got during that time were the trading cards. That was my way of seeing the movie <laughs> as I waited to actually see it later on. Getting those packs of cards with the you know rock chewing bubble gum that comes with <laughs> that usually comes with baseball cards that came with those batman decks too but uh, like i look forward to getting a pack almost like, i think i got one can't remember i got it maybe like once a week or sometimes i would be spoiled and get three packs <laughs> on a weekend or something like that you want to hear but something I got, funny what's that um so my um my dad used to collect baseball cards uh when he, he was young in the uh, 60s i'd say right um and when i was a kid he uh brought out like all of his old baseball cards i guess i was into baseball cards at the time 
and he um, uh, he still had some packs that weren't opened. Um, they he just never opened them for whatever reason, and um, they still had the gum inside of them. Oh no, Dan! Don't tell me we opened it, <laughs> <laughs> and it was black. The gum was black. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I'm surprised it was still solid. I mean, I thought it would just melt away, you know, but still there. Just <laughs> color like that, though. <laughs> I remember trying one stick of gum that came with those Batman cards, and it was just like felt like it was breaking my teeth. I was like, ah, really? <laughs> yeah, like no, no, thank you. Open the open the pack, throw out the gum, and just see what cards I got. <laughs> but I I got a bunch of those cards because I ended up getting the complete set of all the Batman trading cards, and it wasn't like where. I bought a box of the cards where it comes with a bunch of decks that you open up. I just I just collected enough individual decks to complete the set. And boy, I would look at those every day. Just you know, like I had a I had them in a folder book in some plastic sleeves, just flipping them, putting them in order as they were numbered, trying to piece together the movie. And just remember being in awe, oh, man, just like a live action Batman because I've been familiar with the Adam West show during that time. But seeing it like this, falling in love with the costume, the black suit, and the Batmobile through those cards and the toys, it was just, I was mesmerized by that. So that was my absorption of Batman 89 content before the movie came out. But as the movie got closer to release, I, I just remember trying to do everything I could to see any clip footage of the movies on these different like TV shows, whether it was like Siskel and Niebert and their review and our entertainment tonight or even local news talking about you know the buzz around the movie and you know the lines for it i just remember it was felt like a special moment when i actually got to see footage of the movie for the first time as that little kid and some of the moments that stick out to me like some of the early clips they showed would be the alley fight sequence um when batman's fighting joker's goons as vicky bell's taking the photos from above and then a uh, joker and Vicky Bell at the art museum where she throws the water at, at his face. And he says, I'm melting, I'm melting. Those are like probably the first two scenes I've ever saw of the movie. Like that's they showed as previews. And I just remember thinking, Oh man, this, this looks so cool. Like I just can't wait to see it. Like, why can't I see this movie? <laughs> it just looks so amazing. Seeing Batman like this. And then also I would have other family members who've seen it. Like, uh, my, my uncle, and I think my grandfather, they saw it. So when, when they would come over, like I just go, oh, you gotta tell me all about Batman. What happens? I didn't care about spoilers back then, Dane. So <laughs> I knew that the Joker died, how we died, and all that stuff. But I was just like trying to get as much information as I could about the movie to like actually saw it. But then the movie finally came out on VHS, and I didn't realize. I, I looked this up. It came out pretty, you know, pretty close to the movie release. Almost how movies do it nowadays, because you remember back like during the mid '80s, late '80s, and even '90s how movies took forever to come out on video, like almost a year. Yeah. But Batman came out in November uh, once you know, of that same year in 89, once it came out in June. So that was a pretty quick turnaround. But it, it felt like a long time for me as a six-year-old kid. So and I don't even know if my parents rented it right away when it came out. They might have waited. I, that I'm not sure on. <laughs> but uh, they rented it. My dad had to watch it first to know what parts uh, he'd have to fast forward for me not to see. <laughs> and the only part i remember him fast forwarding is when uh joker burned that mob boss with his buzzer <laughs> but other than that i think we made it through the whole movie and just ended up loving it as i knew i would but 
there was always something missing where as a Batman fan, my regret, my one big regret is never seeing all the main Batman, Batman films in the movie theater um, because of Batman 1989, not being able to see it. And they might've had like special screenings later on that I just wasn't aware of and maybe were too far. (laughs) But this is the first time where I really was aware that there was going to be a screening of it. It was, you know, right in my backyard and like, I just could not miss it. So this past Tuesday, I got to see it and boy, it was everything that I (laughs) hoped it would be 29 years in the making. It was just so cool to finally see this classic Batman movie on the big screen. And I probably got there a little too early because when I, I got there, it started at seven and I got there like around five 30. Cause with these classic screenings, I never been to one before. And I figured, you know, there might be these hardcore fans for these movies, especially for Batman who would get there early and, uh, you know, want to have a good seat. So I got there at five 30, but they were still showing black Panther in the room that <laughs> was going to show Batman. It was like at the end of it. So I got to see the end of black Panther again, which was cool. Help pass weird. the time by. It's weird how they let you in. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, actually, because I just handed him my ticket. He goes, theater 18 on your left. I go, okay, expecting, you know, no movie to be playing. I was be waiting either outside or in, you know, in the theater, just waiting for the movie to begin. But the door was shut. I saw, oh, Black Panther's still playing. No one's there. Okay, I'm going in. (laughs) Nobody was there? Yeah. So so it was like. Like, No, I meant like no worker was by the door or anything. Oh, oh, oh. Looking for my ticket. Uh, I just walked in and saw the end of Black Panther. <laughs> so, <laughs> and um, but, so, so for the Batman eighty nine screening, was was it packed? Was there a lot of people there, or not so much? At first, I thought it wasn't going to be because probably in the first hour I was waiting, it was like just me and a few other people. But like once it hit six thirty and there was about a half hour to go, um, it, it filled up pretty nicely. I think the only seats that weren't available were the ones at the very bottom, like the front row seats. So it was a packed house. And wow. Yeah, it was it was a fun to see it with a crowd. Like again, that's one of the experiences I've never had with this movie. And I don't know, I just it was hard to do, but I tried really hard to make it like, okay, I just really want to take myself back to be that six year old kid who's never seen Batman before. And I was dying to see this movie. Never got to see in the theater. I just want to try to capture that feeling of what it would have been like for me to see some of my favorite scenes, of course, knowing that I've seen the movie numerous times. But just to really embrace how special it's going to be to see some of my favorite moments on the big screen. And I got to say that it did have an effect on me where I just I geeked out on certain points. of that. oh, this is so awesome to see these moments here on the big screen for the first time. Um, I mean, just right off the bat, that opening title sequence uh, it's one of the best and coolest Batman opening titles ever. I mean, I remember seeing it for the first time wondering, man, what is this? I mean, what I always thought as a little kid, oh, it's like we're in the Batmobile. We're going through the Batcave. That's what I thought <laughs> the opening title sequence was. But I just love how, I mean, of course, you got Danny Elfman's amazing classic theme, you know, bursting through the theater speakers, which sounded great. And then I love how it just goes into that Batman logo. And it just gets you ready that, you know, you're in for something really special as a Batman fan, especially back in 1989. And again, that's one of the feelings I was trying to capture watching it in the theater, just, you know, really embracing of how cool this is going to be. And the opening titles, you know, did that right away (laughs) once the movie started, but seeing other moments in the movie, like Batman's introduction where he takes those two thugs and he gets the classic on Batman uh, speech and then um, the Joker's entrance. I just love that 
entrance of the Joker. That's one of my favorite Joker scenes ever. Just coming back to, um, you know, Grissom's office. I love his dialogue where he goes, Jack is dead, but you can call me Joker. And as you can see, I'm a lot happier. <laughs> That's one of the great parts about this, seeing this movie on the big screen with Jack Nicholson's Joker performance and just how being with a crowd, they're eating up all, you know, his jokes and his dialogue. It was just fun to experience that with the crowd, which again is what I sure it must have been like for a lot of people seeing it for the first time in 1989 seeing jack nicholson's great performance as the joker and kind of get to experience that a little bit with uh, some other people because it was interesting some of the it was a a variety of people who were there some people my age some young kids but also some you know uh older uh, senior citizens i was sitting next to a family like yeah a mother like her two teenage kids and then their grandmother who was saying like she was like the biggest Batman fan of them all. <laughs> like oh, I've seen all these movies. I've seen Spider-Man. I've seen Batman. Uh, so I just wanted to recapture seeing this movie again, which is pretty awesome. So I just love it. it was a wide ver- variety of uh, different people to experience this. Some uh, seen it for the first time because the lady I was sitting next to saying, oh, this is I never saw this one in the theater or I don't remember seeing this movie at all. So this is my first time seeing it and just everyone really enjoying it. So it was just a great experience overall. And yeah, again, some more standout scenes of seeing it on the big screen for the first time was uh, the access chemical sequence. That was the only mo- moment in the movie that I did see on the big screen before. Because I think I said this before. We went to, like, during the time Batman was out. I don't remember what movie we saw, but it was, like, some family-oriented movie. But my dad allowed me or took me to peek in a little bit <laughs> for the screening of Batman. And I got to see a little bit of the access chemical scene as a you know six-year-old kid and just being mesmerized by it and just wanting to stay like did not want to leave but of course he had to so seeing that sequence in full it's my favorite sequence of the whole movie so seeing that on the big screen for the first time in its entirety was really great and then the museum scene where you know just the get-go or joker and the goons start messing with the art pieces hearing prince's song his conversation with vicky bale batman breaking through the window from the batmobile chase just love that whole sequence and that was great to see that one on the big screen as well, too. That was one of the highlights or a sequence I just couldn't wait to see after Access Chemicals. So this overall, I just loved my experience. It was everything I knew. It was as fun and you know awesome as I knew it would be since as a six-year-old kid in 1989. And I just glad I was able to appreciate how special that was to finally see you know, this classic Batman movie on the screen for the first time. So I loved it. It's, I wouldn't say it made me appreciate the movie anymore because, I mean, I've seen it numerous times. It's 30 years old. Uh, I, I still love the movie despite some <laughs> story choices at the end. But this ex- to be immersed into it like never before was just an awesome experience. So I'm glad I could finally check that off my list <laughs> as stuff I wanted to do as a Batman fan. I have finally seen Batman 1989 in theaters and it was great. Yeah, I still haven't. <laughs> still haven't seen it in theaters. Um, yeah, because I, I, you're younger than me, Dane, and I yeah. know I was too young to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would have been one years old, Tim. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> wait, wait well, what, all... what? 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 When did it come out? Sorry, 1989. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, what month? Uh, June. Okay, so I would have been. Uh, uh, well, I would have been eight months. Eight months old. <laughs> so, yeah, a little too young. <laughs> and your parents weren't those the type to take their babies to movie theaters. Right? No, so, no. <laughs> thankfully. What I don't get yeah. is, I mean, you said uh, how, how your 
your parents had problems with you or taking you to see Batman 89 because you, it, they thought, I guess, it would have scared you or something. Yeah, just yeah, too dark, too violent for a six year old kid. Yeah, I guess my I, I guess my parents had no problem with me seeing Batman Returns <laughs> because <laughs> they took me to go see Batman Returns. I remember going to see that movie. So, yeah. Do you remember when you did first see Batman nineteen eighty nine? Was it after Returns? Yeah, definitely after Returns. I'll, I it, it must have been early two thousands, two thousand two, three. Oh, okay, I think. Wow. yeah, it wasn't until much much later. Um, I think whenever it came out on DVD the first time. Okay. Whenever that was, because that I was remember like, buying it. I want to say 98, because I remember that's when I first saw it on DVD. Oh, okay. So way, way earlier, I think. Yeah, I must have just gotten it mixed up then, because I remember buying it. And uh, yeah, watch, that, that was the first time I ever watched it. How, how was your view going into it? Because obviously you probably had to hear about, you know, how important it was and how great it was for its time and all that being, you know, this first really great Batman movie. Did, yeah. Did yeah, you have any expectations he, going into it? Here's or the did thing. you see it because you like Batman? Here's the thing. I, I thought Batman Returns was the first movie. <laughs> Despite saying Returns in the title. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought Batman Returns was the first movie. I just thought they named it that. Okay. Um, I guess kind of like Superman Returns. <laughs> and I didn't, I, I didn't know that there was a Batman 89 at the time. I thought it was just okay. So, Michael Keaton only did one movie, and that was uh, Batman Returns, and that was a great movie. And so, I, yeah, I had no idea that there was a uh, Batman eighty nine. Despite the fact that when we did go to see it, right, um, I guess the movie theater at the time didn't have the current uh, uh, cardboard cutouts of. Um, Batman Returns. Okay. And so they used the old Batman 89 cutouts. Oh, wow. <laughs> with, the, with the Joker smile. Uh-huh. And so I thought Joker was in it, and I was I was like, oh, I guess they didn't put Joker in it. And <laughs> I was just under the impression that they just didn't put Joker in the Michael Keaton Batman movies. Man, talking about false advertising. I know. The theater, man. <laughs> yeah, so so they didn't have the old or the new cutouts, so they used the old cutouts. Um, but yeah, uh, so going into the movie, I didn't know that there was a 89 movie. I thought that Batman Returns was the, the first movie. So what was your first reaction when you saw it? Did you think, oh man, it's better than Batman Returns or you did not like it as much as Batman Returns since that was your first? Um, well, you see, like, I, I was a huge fan of Batman Returns, so I was like, you know, how come they don't have, I mean, where's Catwoman? Where's Penguin? You know, where's Shrek? I mean, I guess Shrek is dead, but, you know, wh- where are these people? You know, so like, I, 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 I didn't know that this movie came before Batman Returns. <laughs> so yeah, well, I, I, I guess I had a really bad experience. Yeah, but man, so how many viewings did it take you to fully appreciate the movie just on its own term? <laughs> um, well, like it, it, it kind of started to make sense to me. Like, oh, okay, so that's why they have the Batman 89, I mean, the, 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 the Joker cut out, you know, with the smile. When I went to go see Batman Returns, uh, because Joker was in this first movie. This movie bec- uh, comes before Batman Returns, right? 
I was like, oh, okay. And that's when I started to appreciate it more. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you ever got the like the anthology box set of the four Batman movies. I know it would, would probably be a hard purchase to justify it with Batman and Robin and Batman Forever yeah, <laughs> as no, part of the box you. set. <laughs> but the documentary that's on there, especially yeah. for the Burton films, are really good. Even the Schumacher ones, because you get more insights on what went <laughs> on with those movies. But I, after I got home from seeing the movie that night, I wanted to watch that documentary on Batman 1989. And it's, I forgot how good those were. It's called Shadows of the Bat, like the cinematic journey of Batman. Like, I believe that's the title. But it's just really cool of how it all started from Michael Uslan trying to you know get the rights to tell you know a dark, more, you know, realistic Batman type movie to move away from, you know, the notion of it being a goofy comedy like the Adam West series was and just seeing how, you know, it pretty much was a 10 year production to get that movie made and just everything that went on with it from any of the right producers involved, studios involved, writers, directors, finally leading up to Tim Burton, the casting, all that stuff is just really, really cool. And just, you know, makes for a fascinating watch to, to see how much, I guess, I don't know if struggle might be too much of a, you know, harsh word to, to get the movie made, but I just guess the ups and downs that went with getting the movie finally made, like taking it 10 years. So it was really cool. I forgot how uh, good and well-documented, you know, that special feature was on it. And another cool thing too, that's on those box sets is they have a deleted, you know, storyboard sequence of the role Robin was supposed to play in the movie. I don't know if you've seen that. I'm sure all this stuff's on YouTube. Uh, Damon Wayans, right? Was supposed to play. He Robin. was in Batman Returns. I'm not sure if he oh. was the choice in '89, yeah. but like the whole sequence of it was it was kind of doing a little Dark Knight Returns here, where Batman or Bruce would you know ride a horse through the streets of Gotham, and then like Alfred would hand him the bat suit he changed into the Batman costume, and he'd be chasing Joker, getting away on a car, and during the middle of that chase. Uh, the Flying Graysons were performing, you know, their act. I guess it was an outdoor circus act <laughs> or for some festival going on in Gotham. At that time, the Joker would ramp through it and end up killing uh, Dick's parents there. And that's how he, he, you know, followed Joker in the chase as well. And he meet up with Batman. And that's how they come to beat. It wasn't the best story <laughs> idea to introduce Robin. But what's cool about that sequence on the special features on the Blu-ray and DVD is that you're seeing the storyboards. But you're hearing the voices of Batman, Joker, and Robin during that sequence. And voicing Batman and Joker are Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. So it's just worth checking out that sequence to hear the voices, you know, playing a deleted sequence that would have been in the Batman 1989 movie. So that release of, you know, the box set of all four movies. And I'm not sure if they released them individually. I know they did, but I don't know if they had those special features on the individual discs. Because if so, it's worth checking out or getting the Batman 80. 1989 and Batman Returns with those special features are really cool and you know it's just another way to fully immerse myself to <laughs> looking back at that moment of being a Batman fan in 1989 by seeing the movie and then just being reminded of everything that went down to get it made and then because it also have some stuff where you know it shows the reaction to it how big of a hit it was and just kind of remembering what it like what it was like at that time despite not seeing the movie but just knowing the buzz and the, the hype that was surrounded, it was really cool. So, yeah, it was an awesome experience. I'm glad I finally got to do it. See it with a bunch of other Batman fans who, you know, seen the movie like I never had before, cheering at certain moments, laughing at certain moments with the Joker. I mean, the Batmobile got a big cheer 
when I saw it, which was cool, or with amongst the people when it first showed up in that scene. It's still the greatest Batmobile ever. Did so it look it was, good, Tim? It looked did look good, yeah, too. Oh. They, they must have used like on the HD Blu-ray print that they have for yeah. it. It looked just like that. Oh, so they they just use like a Blu-ray then? It that's um, what it seemed like. It's not like they actually use the uh, actual film. No, yeah, because it didn't look like you know old nineteen eighty nine quality. Yeah. <laughs> it looked it looked like you would on a Blu ray where they clean it up and enhance it to HD and all that. So, well, at least it wasn't only... like you know a thing where they promote it as the original print, and then you go in and you see a DVD menu. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been yeah a little awkward. <laughs> Someone forgets to hit play. Like, yeah. The only thing was maybe I don't know. If the screen size and aspect ratio of how they filmed in 1989 was different, but they didn't fill the whole like big screen in the theater because what they did before the movie started, they like closed the curtains a little bit surrounding the screen. So I guess it can, it's not like you have a portion of the film in the middle and you see blank spots on the screen. They moved the curtain. So it looked like it's filling the whole screen. But I, since I was there early, I saw the curtains go (laughs) moving to close the gap of the screen. So it wasn't, I guess as full and big as it could be for today's standards theaters. That was the only little nitpick or negative aspect of it, I guess. But it was still fun. I guess time traveling back to 1989 for a night. Cause that's what it felt like. I, I, um, even said afterwards, man, I should have went to Taco Bell for dinner because they were the ones who had the Batman 1989 tie-in promos <laughs> <laughs> during that time and used my old Batman Taco Bell cup that I still have. That would have capped off the perfect uh, travel back in time to 1989. <laughs> well, I'm glad it was good for you because um, for me, like I said, or like I uh, told you guys, it's it was one of confusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was uh, before the internet, of course. Or at least before we had it. Um, so, yeah, I just didn't know what was going on. and um, Yeah, so I'm glad it was a good experience for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It was awesome. So anyone, if you get the chance to see Batman 89 in the theater that, and you haven't yet before, definitely take advantage of it because I think you'll really enjoy it. But uh, before we end the future topic, got a few responses to some of our listeners on Twitter. Uh, letting us know some of their earliest memories of seeing Batman 89 for the first time. So we want to go ahead and share those. Um, first up, always hold on to Smallville at always Smallville on Twitter says, I love Batman 89. Still my favorite Batman movie. First saw it on VHS back in the day. And this will forever be burned in my nostalgic memory. And he sends uh, a link of the little advertisement that played before the VHS release, which was the for the Warner Brothers catalog. Which had Bugs Bunny trying to pitch you to order Warner Brothers products like Batman ties. And I totally agree with what Always Smallville means by that because that was the first thing I saw when we popped in that VHS was that Bugs Bunny advertisement for Warner Brothers catalog. Talk about uh, taking you back to the 80s, a commercial for a catalog where you had to order merchandise <laughs> from. I, I, I totally forgot that VHSs used to do that. They used to put. Um, you know, company promo uh, promo things on yeah. there and trailers for um, movies that are also coming out on VHS <laughs> in front of them. I totally forgot. Takes forever to forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did not forward that Bugs Bunny catalog promo. I like where they had to draw a little Batman necktie and I always wanted that tie. But yeah. <laughs> but here's what, the, what would you use it for, Tim? <laughs> that is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Just to have. <laughs> 
But the best part is uh, Jordan also responded uh, to Always Smallville's tweet there. Jordan says, I have quite a bit of nostalgia for 89, but I'm honestly not a big fan of it today. I have a lot of issues with it. But love that promo, though, speaking of the catalog commercial. He says, I wonder what would happen if I called that number today. So I responded to Jordan saying, oh, you got to call it and see what happens. And so he did call and he just said, oh, no. All he got was a message saying, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Oh, so it's, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> yeah. But he said he really wanted that tie. So. <laughs> but at least now we know. Yeah. And then finally, we got a response from uh, Jim Bob Squarepants at Vintage oh, GT. Oh, finally, Jim Bob is back. Yes. <laughs> Good to hear from Jim Bob again. Yeah. And he shares a nice tweet with us saying, I saw it in the theater on its original release, then bought the VHS the day it was released. Saw it with my dad, who died many years ago. So a special memory for me for several reasons. Superb movie. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that with us, Jim Bob. Uh, nice to hear that the movie serves as you know a special memory uh, for you and your dad, which is nice to hear. So uh, thank you guys for your responses. Glad you know you had good memories seeing Batman 1989 for the first time. Sounds like it was better than Dane's being yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not being confused about it. So <laughs> that's always good to hear. It's kind of cool, though. Um going to see the movie and then going to your local video store and buying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I guess that's it for our future topic for this episode. Um, and now we can move on to our news and discussion topics. Um, the first one is kind of a big one. I, I, I just wish they gave her a yeah. bigger movie to, to, uh, to do. Uh, I don't know. I mean, this one could be pretty big. Yeah, but nobody really knows the new gods. I wish they yeah, just but, gave, they just gave her Superman or Batman. But if, you know, but I mean, but if she you know delivers a great movie, she can put the new gods on a map like never before and yeah. make them old names. Them. I'm sure so. that I'm sure that's appealing too for a filmmaker to want to do that. You know, take a not so much of a well known property, but do your thing to make it you know something that's really well known. Yeah, so if you don't know, the uh, Ava DuVernay is going to direct a new Gods movie. Yeah, this man, this came out of nowhere, too. I mean, yeah. we never heard anything about a new Gods movie being on the slate for DC. I mean, you know, things are all the shakeups going on with there. Who knows what they have planned? But I definitely got excited about this because a new Gods movie, if done right, can be something really, really cool. I mean, just dealing with the story of. I love the story behind the feud of New Genesis and Apocalypse and Darkseid and High Father and how the only way to have a peace treaty is to exchange their firstborn sons. Of course, that being Mr. Miracle going to Darkseid and Apocalypse and Orion going to High Father and New Genesis. And just seeing those two characters uh, grow, who do they become, I think can make for a fascinating story and just really be the focal point if you have Mr. Miracle, Orion, throwing Barda there. As the central characters in the conflict between New Genesis and Apocalypse, it could be really, really cool. So I'm excited for it. And as far as Ava uh, DuVernay, uh, I know her latest movie, Wrinkle in Time, uh, I didn't see it, but I know it's kind of got mixed reviews. I know some said it was good and some who said it wasn't that great. But just speaking from a visual standpoint, I think she could do amazing stuff with New Genesis. Just seeing the trailers for A Wrinkle in Time and that other world they go to. I could see her doing some like awesome stuff with New Genesis and even Apocalypse, but you know, in a wrinkle of time, it looks has that more like paradise feel that New Genesis has. So visually, I think she's going to nail it. 
just based off of what I've seen from the trailers in A Wrinkle in Time. But um, yeah, if they could just get a great script that focuses on those characters that I mentioned. I mean, this could be something really, really, really cool if done right. So I'm super excited that we're getting a new Gods movie and that it's going to be done by Ava DuVernay. So here's hoping, you know, there's no creative differences later down the line. <laughs> I know. She gets removed as the director. So hopefully <laughs> it's a smooth, uh, smooth sailing to get this movie made. And I saw her Twitter account, and uh, how did how did she get just Ava? Like at Ava. <laughs> That's, yeah. if, if if you don't know her Twitter handle, it's at Ava A V A. How did she get that? I know. Maybe she was on Twitter like like right Day when one. it started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was able to secure that handle because that would be a pretty basic one. You think a lot of people would try to go for? Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. I I haven't seen uh, Wrinkle in Time, but I did see Selma. Uh, but she didn't write that; she just directed that. So, um, and I, 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 I like Selma. It's a, it's a really good movie if you haven't seen it. Um, so I'm sure she'll do a good job with this. Um, I just wish yeah. they gave her a big uh, a bigger movie. Hey, I mean, if this does well, I mean, kind of maybe you know she could be in the same boat as patty jenkins where she'll just be in demand and hopefully have the pick to do whatever she wants later on but i forgot to mention too i think in the report by deadline it says right now she's just going to direct new gods but will work closely with the writer i think they're still looking for a writer oh so maybe maybe she will have like a writing credit to it but it it doesn't sound like she's just going to be doing the writing and directing by herself so it's probably there'll be a co-writer on there oh i see um so yeah, our, our next piece of news is that Brian Hill has been announced as the new writer of Detective Comics. Yeah, so we knew James Tinian was you know leaving the book pretty soon, and they didn't announce who the new writer was, but now we know it's uh, Brian Hill. And someone I'm not too familiar um, with his recent work, I know right now he's working on uh, Wildstorm book, Michael Cray, and uh, he says he's working on you know books like Postal and uh, Cyberforce and... He's also a writer for the Ash vs. Evil Dead show. So I'm not too familiar with his work, but I guess the big uh, arc that they're going to do once he takes over Detective Comics is team him up with Black Lightning. So that should be interesting to see Batman with him, of course, you know, but they're outsiders history. So, um, yeah, nothing that gets me overly excited about it, but just good to know who's going to be taking over from James Tinian, which got to say is a big shoes to fill ever since Rebirth starts. So hopefully Brian Hill can you know continue what James Tinian started. While we're on the subject of uh, comics, uh, the Justice League roster has been revealed for uh, Scott Snyder's run. Um, looks like uh, Jim Chung and Jorge Jimenez. Is that Jimenez? Jimenez? Yeah. I'm, I'm bad with pronouncing names, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds right to me. It looks right. So well, I, I, I know Jim Chung is Jim Chung. So uh, Jorge Jimenez will be joining Scott Snyder on the Justice League comic book in June. Yeah, I love the pieces of art that uh, DC decided to release for showing the covers of them. And the big thing that has me excited about, you know, this roster that Scott Snyder chose for the main Justice League book, it's pretty much the Justice League animated series lineup with the addition of Cyborg and Aquaman. And I think that's awesome because you got, of course... The big three, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Hawk Girl. Wow. You got Hawk Girl. <laughs> you got 
John Stewart, Green Lantern, oh, Martian Manhunter. Yeah. You know, three of the mainstays in the Justice League cartoon, which is awesome. And of course, Flash. But Flash has always been a part of the Justice League. But having Martian Manhunter, Harkerl, and Green Lantern, uh, John Stewart as Green Lantern, I mean, it's just awesome. I think that Scott Snyder is kind of, you know, paying a little tribute to the Justice League cartoon and decided to use those group of characters with the addition of Cyborg and Aquaman to be the main Justice League, I think is awesome because. We just know how great those characters were in the Justice League cartoon, despite Jon Stewart not making any constructs as a Green Lantern. But I don't think Scott Snyder is going to constrain Jon Stewart and what he can do in his constructs. So I'm not worried about that. So I'm definitely looking forward to see, you know, always excited to see what Scott Snyder is going to be doing on the Justice League title. You know, I guess, well, I should say I am excited right now, but got to temper it a little bit depending on what happens at the end of Dark Knight's Metal, because I know that's. Uh, story is going to factor into the new Justice League, so we'll see how all that wraps up. But yeah, this roster has me excited because I just think it's going to be great seeing these group of characters who I'm so familiar with through the Justice Justice League cartoon now be brought together again in the comics. I think it could be something really cool. So I'm more excited for the book, even more so now with this roster reveal. I like that second cover. Yeah, um, especially that Batman drawing mm-hmm. where he's kind of in the shadows. <laughs> Yeah, just, I love the looks on everyone's faces. Batman, Superman, Hawkgirl, even. This, this yeah. is a really cool drawing. And Flash is doing a uh, yes move. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like. <laughs> yeah, like a pose. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, Barry Allen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And, um, yeah, that, that's it for our news and discussion topics. So now we can get on to our conversation with Alex slash listener feedback. And we do have an email from uh, Jordan, right? Yes, we do. Okay. Uh, You want to read that? Yep. Got it right here. Okay. Jordan says, hey, Tim and Dane and Alex, I loved your feature topic on episode 152. It was really interesting to hear your guys' look back at all the villains that Batman the Animated Series introduced you to. For me, there are only a few. I think I talked to you guys about this before, but I'm not sure. Since I was born in 1998, midway through the new Batman Adventures run. Uh, way to make me feel even more old, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, I was born in 1988. <laughs> so yeah, man. <laughs> ten, ten years before you. And Tim was born in 1972. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't make me sound older than I already am. <laughs> more accurately, 1983. 83, right. Uh, because I missed out on Batman the Animated Series as it aired. However, I did have a handful of episodes on, v- on, VHS, on VHS as a younger kid that I watched a ton. The villains that those episodes served as my initial introduction to are Man Bat on Leather Wings, Scarecrow, Nothing to Fear, and Tony Zuko, Robin's Reckoning. I had, well still have, one of those DK Batman encyclopedias as a kid. And much like that artwork you were talking about, Tim, that encyclopedia introduced me to a lot of Batman villains before I had actually seen them in any movies or TV shows or read stories about them in any comics. As I mentioned, the animated series The Batman is what made me a diehard Batman fan. Much like what Batman the Animated Series did for you guys, The Batman is where I got to finally see many of the villains from the aforementioned Batman Encyclopedia actually in action and where I got introduced to even more Batman villains. It's where I saw Bane, Firefly, Cluemaster, the Ventriloquist and Scarface, Clayface, Killer Croc, Hugo Strange, Ragdoll, Solomon Grundy, Gearhead, Maxi Zeus, Black Mask, and the Terrible Trio for the first time. 
As I said, that series is responsible for me for becoming a diehard Batman fan, and I love it so much. I'm on board with Kristen Wiig being cast as Cheetah in Wonder Woman 2. Truthfully, I haven't been a big fan of Wiig in anything I've seen her in, and I'm having a little bit of trouble seeing her as Cheetah. But I trust Patty Jenkins, and I trust DC. DC has had an amazing track record with casting young, with casting going back to even before the DCEU, so they've earned my confidence with that. If Michael Keaton, Heath Ledger, Ben Affleck, and Gal Gadot have taught us anything, it's not to judge a casting announcement until we eventually, or until we actually see the actor in action, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm eager to see what Wig brings to the role of Cheetah, and I'm glad that it looks like Cheetah will be the main antagonist of Wonder Woman 2. I'm excited about Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero coming to Blu-ray. Well, since I've gotten digital, I'm actually more excited that it will presumably be coming to the digital platforms in HD as a result of that. I love this film. Pretty much anything DCAU did with Mr. Freeze was pure gold, and this is no exception. Which, if I remember right, I should be getting that the same day Last Jedi comes out. So <laughs> I'll have a few movies to watch that week. So which one are you going to watch first, Tim? Well, it's actually... I. I probably actually won't watch Last Jedi till the weekend, but yeah. I'll be watching the special features first <laughs> when I first get it. So, yeah, the definitely. The first thing I'll probably see is the documentary. No, uh, watch the um, Andy Circus or or where where they uh, just kept Andy Circus in the scenes. Okay, yeah, watch I mean, that first. Tell me how great that was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I make and this then, one too. Then watch the uh, <laughs> the documentary. Okay. I uh, was, was kind of disappointed with the d- deleted scenes on The Last Jedi. I thought they'd oh, have Don't more. say anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> I know what a few more, but it, I want to be totally surprised on the rest. It, it's... Okay. Okay. So, if, if if I say my general thoughts on it, will it spoil anything for you? No, just don't say what they are. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I, I just thought that they would have more... Um, or at least bigger... See, Tim, I can't do it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we'll have to get um, back to it on our next episode because I'll definitely have seen it by then. <laughs> I, I I will say um, th- there is one deleted scene. I'm not going to get into specifics, Tim. Don't worry. That um, is actually a extended cut of a scene. Mm, okay. That I wish that they just put in the movie. Because the only one I've seen is the one that they released on the Star Wars show their YouTube series where Ted dealt with Phasma and how she originally went out with her shooting the stormtroopers. Yeah. That's and I actually right. liked how that one played out. I thought that would have been cool to see in that's, you know, in a final form in the actual cut, but yeah, it, it was actually a different scene, but that's all I'll say too. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm anxious to see all 14 of them, <laughs> but Jordan continues saying, I thought Batman 42 was incredible. Spoilers. I love continuing to see Tom King write Batman and Catwoman as true crime fighting as a true crime fighting couple as they drive in the Batmobile through the poison ivy controlled streets of Gotham together. The banter they have had me smiling from ear to ear. Hearing Catwoman talk about the wedding made me so happy. We're less than four months away. It was hilarious how she was talking about Ivy filling every role in the wedding. I love the way in which Batman tricks Superman. It was a really sweet seeing Batman whisper to Catwoman that he loves her. And the way he used that to trick Superman into listening in was awesome. I love seeing Catwoman take out Barry and both Wallies the way she did. There was a cool Easter egg in this issue that I didn't find out about until after I read it. Uh, Johnny Sintres, I'm sure, 
butchering that. There'll be more names I'll butcher in this email, but <laughs> I'll get to that when uh, we do. Uh, the kid who is allergic to greens that Batman was looking for is the name of the host of the Word Balloon podcast. I'm not a regular listener of that podcast, but King just did an interview on it that I stumbled across and listened to after reading this issue. So that was very cool. Later on in the issue, after Batman and Catwoman have been captured, the scene where Catwoman had to watch Superman punch Batman was devastating. I'm assuming she was in on the plan, but seeing her have to watch that happen to the love of her life was so emotional. Now that Batman is in the care of Harley Quinn, my guess is that he's going to use Ivy's affection for Harley to try to get Ivy to stop what she's doing. I'm so excited to see where this goes. Batman and Catwoman literally against the whole world continues to be amazing. Yeah, I didn't know about that little Easter egg, too, for that podcast host. Um, I guess we got... That's what we got to work to now, Dane, is to get a little cameo in a Batman comic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the goal. Whether it's, you know, a, a you know, little crime thug or a criminal with a background, a henchman named Tim or Dane, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and we get beat up really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that would actually be pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys brought up several of Selena's wedding dresses on the last episode. Or you guys brought up the reveal of Selena's wedding dress in the last episode. It hadn't been released yet when I sent in my last email. If it had, I certainly would have brought it up as well. Selena looks absolutely gorgeous in that dress. I love it. The design of the dress looks amazing. And as Eliza Brooke, the fashion expert that Polygon consulted for an analyst of this dress, stated, it evokes her Catwoman suit a bit, which is great. To answer your question, uh, Joelle Jones designed the dress. Batman 44, the wedding planning issue, will alternate back and forth between Bruce and Selina, and Jones will draw the Selina portion of the story while, uh, this is the name I had trouble last episode, uh, Michael Janin, Janin, it looks like Michael Janin, but I know Mikhail, it's pronounced Mikhail Janin. Miguel Mikhail Janin, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get that right at some point. <laughs> Miguel Janin will draw the Bruce portion. They're both incredible artists. But Jones, in particular, has quickly risen up as one of my favorite comic book artists ever, thanks to her recent work on Batman. I'm so glad it was her who designed the dress. And I'm also so glad that she will be working on this issue that I was already massively anticipating. Jones also came up with some of the potential dress designs. And while they're all great, too, I think she went with the right choice, because the one she picked up is my favorite of the different designs she did. We also just got word that Penguin slash Random House is going to be publishing a 96-page Batman slash Catwoman wedding album. What an incredible way to celebrate that, this landmark event in the history of my OTP. The cover is David Finch's gorgeous page from Batman 24, where Batman proposes to Catwoman for the first time. But there aren't any details on what will be collected inside the book yet. I'll be picking it up no matter what, of course, though. The icing on the cake for me is that it releases on September 18th, which is right before my birthday. Yeah, I didn't ever hear about that announcement where they're going to make like a wedding album type collection of Batman comics. Hopefully it'll be, you know, the cover and the design of the book actually looks like a photo album. <laughs> I mean, because I'm sure DC is going to want to, you know, get as much as they can with the tie-ins for the event. It'll make sense to have a little mock-up wedding photo album book, which is, got to say, pretty clever and kind of cool. We also got word of about what will be going on in the two Batman issues prior to the wedding, number 48 and 49. Apparently, there will be a two-issue arc called The Best Man, where the Joker kidnaps Batman after finding out about the wedding in the DC Nation Zero. This has me very excited. Presumably, we're going to see 
and a Catwoman on a mission to rescue the love of her life. Also, it's been assumed for a while now that Joker is going to attempt to sabotage the wedding after he finds out about it in DC Nation number zero. As I've said before, I don't think there's any way he'll successfully sabotage it, but I thought he'd try to do so in issue 50. What this new... What this news about issues 48 and 49 means, however, is that Joker will attempt to sabotage the wedding prior to issue 50, which means that issue 50 can now just be a happy celebration of the Bat-Cat relationship without worrying about that. And I think that's great. Yeah, I'm hoping that's what it is, too. I don't want it to be, you know, some villain plot trying to, like I said, worry about the Joker trying to sabotage it. As long as that happens before, that's fine. Just let issue 50 be what it is on the wedding. Because I remember the back in the 90s where Cyclops and Jean Grey got married and that big issue for X-Men. That issue just dealt with their wedding. There was no, you know, supervillain plot that tried to kidnap anyone or try to ruin it. It was just, you know, celebrating, you know, their special day. And it made for a pretty fun issue, too. I always liked that issue. So hopefully Batman number 50 with Bruce and Selina will be like that Jean Grey and Scott Summers one. While none of them are anywhere near on the level of any of the endings of the three installments of the Dark Knight trilogy, I actually really like the endings of all four entries in the Burton slash Schumacher quadrilogy. Well, at least the final shots anyway. In Batman 89, there was that awesome iconic shot of Batman with the bat signal lit in the sky. And in Batman Returns, there was an equally awesome one of Catwoman looking at the bat signal. Then in both the Schumacher films, you get the Bat family. Just Batman and Robin and then Batman, Robin and Batgirl running into action, which I always thought looked really cool. Again, they don't have, hold the candle to the Dark Knight trilogy end scenes, but honestly, I dig the final shots in all four of those movies. Okay, a couple of questions to wrap up this email. Going all the way back to Smallville, the live-action DC TV shows have done such an amazing job with legacy castings. What are your top five favorite examples of it? As you might expect, or might expect all five of mine are Smallville-related, whether it be a previous DC actor who appeared on Smallville or a Smallville actor appearing in later DC media. For me, it's number five, Allison Mack, formerly Chloe Sullivan on Smallville, as Power Girl in Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Number four, Erica Durantz, Lois Lane on Smallville, as Allura Zorel on Supergirl. And number three, Laura Vandervoort, formerly Cara Zorel on Smallville, and as Indigo on Supergirl. Number two, Annette O'Toole, formerly Lana Lang in Superman 3, as Martha Kent on Smallville. And number one, Christopher Reeve, as uh, Virgil Swan in Smallville. Yeah, that's a good question, Jordan. I had to think about this one for a little bit, but I did come up with uh, probably my top five of these legacy casting choices. And I do have a couple of Smallville ones on mine, but <laughs> mine's a little mixed up. So, But first up for my number five, I'm going to go with John Glover as Lionel Luthor in Smallville, but his previous acting choices in the DC Universe as uh, Riddler and Batman the Animated Series. And I guess if you want, you could count him as, you know, uh, the scientist in Batman and Robin who created Poison Ivy. <laughs> I keep forgetting he's in that movie, but I'm mainly uh, looking back at his performance as Riddler and then as Lionel Luthor. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with uh, Brandon Ralph as, you know, of course, from Superman Returns being the Atom in Arrow and then Legends of Tomorrow, which I know, I guess it's kind of sucks going from Superman to the Atom, but he's great as the Atom. He's, uh, you know, see, I don't want to hard for me to say he's better in the Adam than a Superman because Superman returns. I, that movie's problem is not Brandon Ralph's fault, but at the same time, I, I love his Clark Kent, but he's never my favorite Superman. So I think I do probably prefer him more as the Adam 
than Superman. But he's he's great in both. So can't really complain on which one would be better. Uh, number three, I got John Wesley Shipp as, you know, formerly Barry Allen in the original 90s Flash TV show as Henry Allen and Jay Garrick in the current Flash series. I remember when he was first announced that he was going to be in the new Flash show. I go, oh, it'd be perfect if he was either, you know, Barry's dad or if he was Jay Garrick. And he ends up being both. So it was the best of both worlds. And he's great in both parts. Then number two, I'm going to agree with your number one pick here, Jordan. I got Christopher Reeve as Virgil Swan. Uh, again, we talked about before how great he was in those Smallville episodes. And it was like him passing the torch to Tom Welling as Superman. Just wish he was able to kind of be there in the end. I just can't imagine how cool the finale would have been if, you know, Christopher Reeve was still alive when was able to take part in that finale, really kind of passing the torch there when he finally became Superman at the end. But still great to see him in that role regardless. Then my number one, I'm going to go with Adam West as the Grey Ghost in Batman the Animated Series. To me, that was just perfect casting for that character and the story they were trying to tell in that episode. It's, it's almost like Adam West's real life at a certain point during his career, you know, being an actor who was typecast as his role as the Grey Ghost and, of course, as he was as Batman. And to see him play that character, be who was an inspiration for Batman in the animated series was just awesome. And hearing him work with Kevin Conroy is so, so cool. So that would be my number one choice. I don't know. Are there any actors that come to mind for you, Dane? I know you're not a big DC TV watcher, but um, <laughs> anyone in particular yeah, you can think yeah. of? I guess I'd have to agree with you with um, um, Adam West. That's the only one I can really think of. Yeah, it was just such a great role. Yeah. And, and a, a, a totally unrelated to anything, um, something that I noticed, I mean, I I know we should probably get off the topic, but um, <laughs> uh, The Last Jedi, totally forgot um, Admiral Akbar was in, <laughs> is in the new trilogy. Well, yeah, it's a big movie because he, he dies in that movie. Yeah. Right? And um, the co-pilot, um, oh, I totally forget. Uh, they're uh, with Lando and the Falcon. Oh, I and forget his name. What's his name? Nenum or Nenum? It's pronounced Nenum or Nenum. I always did it Nenum. Nenum. Yeah. Uh, I think he's still alive. Yeah, he's he's still alive because he wasn't on that bridge. Yeah, I, I, I totally forgot though that they were in the new movies. Yep, well, at least Atbar made it to two. <laughs> right now, I'm thinking of this in The Force Awakens. <laughs> but going back to Jordan's second question, he goes, we now know that the yellow oval is coming back in Batman's next Batsuit in the comics. So my question is simple. Do you prefer the Batsuit to have the yellow oval or not to have the yellow oval? The, there are Batsuits I absolutely love that have the yellow oval, such as the Batsuit from the animated series, the Batman, and Batman Earth 1 Batsuit, but my preference is still no oval. I know it was explained in The Dark Knight Returns that the point of the yellow oval is to draw gunfire there where the bat suit is more reinforced. But I always felt that it's more important for Batman to blend in with the shadows of the night. Something that having a bright yellow oval on his chest would make that harder to do. There's also one of the reasons why my favorite bat suits tend to be all black ones like the two from the Dark Knight trilogy. The Beware of the Batman suit and the Batman Beyond suit. My all-time favorite bat suit is the Dark Knight slash the Dark Knight Rises one, which of course has no yellow oval and is all black. Yeah, that's another good question that I go back and forth on all the time. I mean, it, you know, good thing to think about as I just saw Batman 1989 in the theaters because 
I love that suit and I love how it has the yellow oval on there. And right now I'm kind of leaning towards that. But at the same time, I love it where it's just the plain bat symbol, like how it is in the new Batman Adventures uh, and Justice League animated series designs for Batman. I love how it looks there. So I go back and forth on those all the time. But since I'm in a Batman 1989 move or mood right now, I'm just going to go with the yellow oval for <laughs> to answer your question and pick a favorite. Uh, yeah, it really depends. Um, I really, really liked uh, Jason Fabok's Batman uh, mm-hmm. in The Dark Knight. I think pre-New 52, was it? Yeah, I yeah. believe that was, yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I well, really, he, did, he did work on the New 52 as well, so it yeah. could have been both. Yeah, I really liked his take on it. Um, but then again, I also liked the no, just black, you know, the the, the black Batman symbol, like um, how he is in the comics now, or um, Christian Bale, uh, his bat suit. So um really depends how it's drawn or made or, you know, whatever. So... Yeah, I guess like you guys, I I go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, and I just love also, too, going back to Batman 89, how that's all they needed to use for the poster and, like, the video cover. Like, it doesn't say Batman on there. It's just the bat symbol on, you know, the yellow oval. That was just so iconic, that, that design of the bat symbol. That was another great thing about Batman 89. The design they had and used for that poster, because the symbol is actually a little different in those costume, but the one they use on the posters and the video covers and all that stuff, that's probably my favorite Batman uh, logo design. I just love how that looks. I think the art direction in general in the Burton Batman movies is, uh, is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if not great. Yeah. If not great. Uh, so is that yeah, it? that's it for yeah. Jordan's email. Okay. Thanks as always, Jordan. All right, Jordan. I will disagree with you on most everything, but thank you for sending in your email. <laughs> um, so now I guess we can move on to our comic book reviews, right, Tim? Yep. All right, so uh, for this episode, uh, we have Batman number 43, De- Detective Comics number 976, and Batman TMNT 2 number 5. Um, so, Tim, what is our rating scale going to be? How about packs of or sticks of chewing gum Dane finds in his baseball cards that are all black? <laughs> that are all black. <laughs> yes, thirty-year-old. Uh, yeah, uh, chewing gum. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be a rating scale. So, um, Tim, uh, wherever you want to start. All right, Batman number forty-three, picking up where obviously Jordan just talked about in his email where. Batman is under the care of Harley after being punched in the face by Superman and being brought back by Poison Ivy. And I was kind of surprised that actually this is looks to be it for the Everyone Loves Ivy story arc. It comes to a, you know, a nice a resolution at the end. But uh, pretty much Batman being in the hospital and Catwoman still with Poison Ivy, they're still you know working out their plan. I mean, it, it seems like things aren't going Batman and Catwoman's way, but it looks like it's all part of the plan. Because Catwoman is talking to uh, Poison Ivy. Like, she's with her in person, but Bruce is talking to Poison Ivy, you know, through all the people she's controlling, like Harvey, or Harvey, Harley, Superman, and Supergirl, who are in the hospital room. And, you know, just trying to 
get her to stop doing what she's doing, but Poison Ivy's still believing, you know, she has to change the world. She's still feeling regret for what she did during the war of jokes and riddles. But Batman is pretty much using Harley to his advantage, as you know, Jordan said in his kind of speculating in his email, it came to fruition in this issue where uh, Bruce knows the close relationship between Harley and Poison Ivy. And he's going to use Harley to, you know, do what she can to snap Ivy out of this and release everybody. But first, they got to release Harley from Poison Ivy's control. So while Catwoman and Batman are talking to her, they're, you know, distracting her from her hold on some of the on some of the people she's controlling. And she was saying, you know, like she has to rule the world and she's dealing with controlling people. But now she has to deal with Bruce and Selena. So she's having a little slip up. But you know, that's where Catwoman says, you know, you're supposed to be distracted. That's part of the plan. So what plan? And the Catwoman just kicks her right in the face and knocks her out for a little bit. And so she's still in communication with Batman or uh, not really, but she's just saying how, you know, Batman has 15 seconds to wake up Harley before Poison Ivy comes to and is able to control everyone again. So as soon as Batman realizes that uh, Poison Ivy is knocked out, Batman just starts yelling at Harley, like, wake up, you got to snap out of it, snap out of it, wake up, Harley. And just at the last second, she does. And as she comes out of it and Batman is uh, able to, because like, of course the word she says as she comes out is just put in and Batman just grabs her and just goes, we're leaving. They jumps out of the hospital uh, before Ivy is able to get control of you know, Superman, Supergirl. And uh, I believe it's the Superman of China that's in there as well, which I haven't read his book, but I know he shows up in some Superman titles here and there. So Batman's able to get Harley Harley back to, you know, where Selina and Poison Ivy are hiding out. And, you know, Harley does what Bruce and Selina were hoping to. She's able to get through to Poison Ivy. And I do like how, you know, it really shows their close friendship and how it's being brought into this story that, of course, all know started from Batman the Animated Series episode, Harley and Ivy. And that's one thing that, you know, sometimes we don't give too much credit for because we know, of course, the series introduced Harley Quinn and she became one of the most popular DC characters ever. But her friendship with uh, Poison Ivy is something that transitioned into the comics and other stories pretty nicely as well. So I'm glad it's being used here to, you know, kind of gets snap Poison Ivy out of this. And it makes sense that Harley would be able to do it. But the big thing that's able to convince her to release her control in the world is that her guilt of killing these two men in the war of jokes and riddles um, ended up not being true because as uh, Selena is t- kind of telling Poison Ivy to move on from killing them, he's like, there's nothing you can do. They died. And, you know, there's, you just have to, you know, leave them be and move on. And Batman's all, wait a minute, two men that were killed in the park. I'm like, Ivy, that wasn't you. Then we get this flashback sequence of uh, Batman finding these two men who had bullet wounds right in their head. And they traced the back to Riddler's gun. And then over the course of this page, uh, you have to, it's kind of told backwards where you have to start at the bottom panel to see this riddle that Riddler is telling, where he, uh, he talks about, you know, the riddle about a man walking to a bathroom and he shoots himself right between the eye, but he walks out, um, he walks out unharmed. There's not a drop of blood anywhere. And, you know, what am I? And it's like, it's a mirror, of course. So knowing Poison Ivy, when she hears that, you know, she still thinks that the world is broken and she has to save it. But then I hardly just goes, you know, like, I know, but... Just not today. We have to save you first. And that's kind of what snaps Poison Ivy out of it. It's like being thankful there's someone who, you know, looking out for her to save her. And knowing that she didn't kill those men kind of eases her conscience a little bit. So that's when she re- ends up releasing everybody. 
because the final page is, you know, Bruce and Selena about to go to bed. Bruce is reading a text message from Clark saying, you know, Ivy safely arrived at Sanctuary and they'll do what they do for her. And just how, you know, it was going to take a little while for her to recuperate after controlling 7.5 billion people who are all in her head. And then Selena just asks him, you know, are we going to be okay? And like Bruce's response here, where he says, everyone against us, everyone was trapped, but here we are. Like, and as everyone's safe as we can make them, like, here we are. And she goes, we're going to be okay. It's like, yep, we're just going to be just fine. So a nice moment between Bruce and Selena making through this ordeal of being the only two people with free will, <laughs> at least for a day or two. So, yeah, this whole story, it wasn't bad. At the same time, it wasn't great. It was just, you know, a solid story to get a poison ivy and just another instance that's going to strengthen the relationship between Bruce and Selena, which I think is the main purpose that it's serving. So I'm going to give this one three out of five 30 year old sticks of chewing gum and baseball cards that ended up being black. <laughs> <laughs> that ended up being black. <laughs> and next up is going to be detective comics. Number nine seventy six. Uh, this one's still dealing with the aftermath of, you know, Batwoman shooting Clayface and her pretty much being kicked out of the team. But this issue it continues off with the, some great character moments here. And I like how it intro- started off with a flashback sequence of Cassandra Kane as orphan stopping the stopping these criminals of, you know, child traffickers and uh, just a great action sequence and her standing up to fellow children. I just like how these uh, thugs just think, you know, they can handle her like, oh, you're just another child coming to save child. Some children will we'll be able to stop you, no problem. Then she just mops the floor with them and just takes them out easily. But there's this one guy who has these electric powers, which, you know, causes a little bit of trouble. Not too much. She's able to take him down, but uh, or she's able to hold him off, but not take him down fully. And that's where Clayface shows up and just smashes him with <laughs> like a mallet shaped fist that he made through his clay powers. And of course, that's obviously where I knew it was a flashback sequence because he was still alive here. And it ends up this is being something that Orphan is thinking about as she's in a session with Leslie Tompkins, you know, just trying to see where her mind's at and hope to get her through this rough time. And you know, Cassandra is just saying, you know, I'm not good. I can do good things, but I'm not a good person. And Leslie's all, what about your friend Clayface? You know, she says she, he tried to be good and they still killed him. And I like the panel after that where you see Bruce is in the back cave watching uh, the session with Leslie and Cassandra Kane. He just has his head down, hands on his head, and just like frustration. It's kind of like, how can this happen? And just for probably, you know, feeling regret and just feels sorry for Cassandra and what she's going through. So that was a, you know, just a nice moment for Orphan, just kind of showing where her state of mind is still at this point. But uh, just a great flashback sequence of seeing her and Clayface work together because they were one of the two highlights of the new characters brought into the Bat team in this detective comic storyline that James Tinian has done. So even though he's not here anymore, glad we got (laughs) one more sequence with those two because I just love their dynamic. Then we also get a sequence with uh, Batwoman and, you know, her new team, it appears, with Azrael and Batwing. It's this little bit right here it reminded me a little bit of the current situation in the season of arrow where <laughs> their team has splintered off into two separate groups who do not agree with each other and they're kind of at war <laughs> or at odds with one another has a little of that feel to me but kind of on a bigger scale here in the comics than on arrow but it, it reminded me of that of, uh, one solid group of team members splitting apart and forming their own team and probably 
more than likely it hasn't happened yet but i imagine batwoman batwing and azrael gonna go up with the rest of the bat family at some point but we see them stopping the court of owls or some talons of the court of owls uh, taking uh, a ship hostage uh, that was going to i believe brazil if i remember right so they're able to take that down but then we get a sequence of batwoman offering batwing and azrael you know as full-time members as part of the colony and to join their team, which they accept. So like I said, you know a showdown is going to come between them and the Bat family. It's just only inevitable. But probably the standout moment of this issue is between Tim and Bruce in the Batcave where <laughs> Batman calls Robin or Red Robin out here, you know, saying, you know, I have Batgirl sweeping the city, but, you know, I needed you for a few minutes. Like they got a much more pressing matter to attend to down here. He says, what do you mean? He says, somebody's been using the Bat computer like for hours these last few weeks while I've been out of the cave. He says, let's see what they've been building. But he knows it's Tim all along. Like he's exposing what he's trying to do. And he's just telling him, you got to relax. You suffered, you know, some been through some major stuff of being held by Mr. Oz, by the future Tim Drake, the whole situation with Clayface. You need to, you need to rest and can't be just working all the time to try to fix, you know, the, the team up and the programs you wanted to, used to establish you know the whole purpose of his team and the ideas he had to make gotham safer through safer through the team and through his initiatives that he's trying to spearhead but batman's telling him you know he's not interested in restarting you know the knight's protocol is what tim called it and everything he's worked towards and tim is just not having it's like how can you save this like everything we've worked toward like i can do it like he's almost like you don't have faith in me but i could do it even everything i've been to and Bruce is saying, no, Batgirl was right. You know, we have to, you know, start a, start a new way. And this isn't the way. And then I like how Tim or Bruce actually, when Tim starts telling him, you know, I know this has been rough on me, but like this is something bigger than my own self. This is like the city and the Batman legacy I'm trying to fight for here. And I don't care what happens to me. And then Bruce just turned and yells at him going, well, I do. It's just showing, you know, Tim's not going to look out for himself. And that still that responsibility Bruce has for Tim is you know on display right here but it just kind of you know makes tim even more mad when bruce tells him you know i want you to take part in one of leslie Tompkins' sessions after she has one with cassandra and tim you know he's not gonna have that he just storms off and just go rides off on the bat cycle and bruce tries to shut the bat cave on him but tim's all you're like really you think i wouldn't have overrided the codes that you have here i spent enough time <laughs> down here long enough to do that so he overrides the codes and escape and it ends up, uh, he get, looks like he runs into or might be teaming up with that old colony member, uh, Ulysses Armstrong, that character I'm not a big fan of. But he confronts Tim as Tim is kind of, you know, venting and letting his frustrations out on everything that's going on. And he tells Tim, you know, he's seen the future and the future version of himself. Um, and he says he offers it, you know, you want to see a look at it? And it ends with the symbol of brother eyes. So it looks like uh, Ulysses Armstrong is going to, you know, open the door more for Tim to take control of the brother eye and take that step more into becoming that future self he wants to avoid. So we'll see what happens there. But I just love the conversation and more character moments we got in this issue, especially with Tim and Bruce. So I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five pieces of 30 year old chewing gum that came with <laughs> old baseball cards that now turn to the color black. And finally, Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number two, issue five. Uh, this one pretty much wastes no time of <laughs> jumping right into where the last issue led off of Donatello 
exposing himself to the venom toxin. And he just goes out on a rampage, taking out different sections of the Foot Clan. And boy, does he, you know, make good use of that venom. <laughs> He's just a giant sized turtle with muscles, just, you know, beating the crap out of every foot soldier he comes in contact with. And it makes the point that he's taken out a good number of factions, and now he's on the elite team that he's going to take out. And one of their main leaders under, or like one of the main generals or like leaders of the group that's under Bane, he's going to take out here, like the really the last one to get to before Bane. But Batman and Leonardo come uh, to stop him, and we makes for a pretty cool acting sequence seeing Batman and Leo trying to fight this giant sized Donatello, and just trying to talk some sense to him that Donatello isn't having it. You know, of course, saying. How, you know, this is the only way I can beat him. I was weak before. I'm not going to let that happen again. And if you continue to fight me, I will stop you. But Bruce and Leo, as they know, words aren't going to do the trick. So they end up going to have to, you know, use their own skills to try to take Donatello down a little bit. But eventually, even though their words and their moves aren't going to work, Leo has one more, uh, you know, idea up his sleeve to try to get him to stop. And he reveals to him that, you know, there's they're trying to go break towards his you know scientific mind, get him to get into that aspect of Donatello before that's truly gone to the venom. And you know, they show him something new they discovered with the venom that you know Bane is using that Baxter Stockman uh, created. Um, he's saying, you know, he, they show him a sample of it through Batman's you know, visual uh, device on his gauntlet, and that stops Donatello for a little bit, and it makes him realize, oh, it, like. The venom is actually dying. It uses an unstable chemical, you know, and it's different from the intel we had before. So with that, they make him realize that he's able to find a way to neutralize the venom effects, not only for himself, but of course he can use it on Bane and everyone else who Bane's use the venom on, like Bebop and Rocksteady, a bunch of foot soldiers. So that gets him to calm down. And then Leo just tells him, you know, you're the only one who can figure this all out and to create this formula. So we need you, like we need your greatest strength and, you know, not it's not your fists, you know, it's your smarts. So uh, that's where they get him to calm down and to go back to the sewers to, you know, create that toxin to stop the venom formula, not only for himself, but also to, you know, hopefully save the city. But of course, while they were fighting Donatello, uh, Raphael and Damien, there was another nice little moment here because they've been at odds each other uh, throughout <laughs> pretty much since the first story arc. But, you know, Splinter was really badly wounded in his fight against Bane as Raphael just uh, watching over him. And, you know, he first he tells Damien, you know, like, can you like just don't talk to me? Like, I've had a, I'm not in the mood to like kick your little bird butt here. I need to, you know, respect my father's wishes here as he's, you know, clinging to life. And Damien just goes, you know, that's why I'm here, too. He just goes like shows does a respective bow, you know, showing respect to their master and their father, here, which is a nice little moment. So that was cool. But they're plan that they have is they're going to actually go back to Gotham and their universe and take Splinter to the Lazarus pit, which I that got me really intrigued. Like, oh man, seeing Splinter <laughs> be dumped into the Lazarus pit and seeing the effects it has on that could be pretty interesting. But that was one of my disappointments with the issue because it, they just kind of went through that pretty quickly. They talk about, you know, the effects it can have, it can turn you insane and I was like, oh, man, is Splinter going to be, you know, a threat for a little bit? Are they going to have to fight him? Is it going to be, you know, made younger and rejuvenated like Rachel Ghoul usually is? But um, they just glance over it and they say, you know, as Donatello and Batman and Leo get back to the sewers, uh, the Splinter, Raphael and Casey Jones and, you know, every part of the team is already there 
healed up. And I was like, oh, man, they just glanced over what happened to Splinter. But I did just do a quick recap saying, you know, it's kind of cool. That's why I have a hard time with this. It's I wish we got to see more of the effects of the Lazarus Pit, but the story reason makes sense because Splinter is a wise martial arts master, someone who meditates and, you know, able just has tons of experience and takes martial arts to another level. And he goes, you know, do my, you know, severe, you know, do my intense training and Zen meditation. I was able to resist the effects of the Lazarus Pits of making me insane. And we just get this one panel of him and Nightwing and Batgirl and Raphael and Robin taking out these man bat ninjas. So he came out of the Lazarus Picks with no effects at all. So I wish it, there was more to it with him in the Lazarus Pit. Like, I think that could make for a cool story, actually, like a younger Splinter rejuvenated coming out of the Lazarus Pit. But the fact that he was able to control the madness that comes with it i think this speaks to how cool his character is as a martial arts master so um that was a little bit of a you know good and bad for me at the same time but at the end donatello was able to you know reverse the effects of the venom he creates that formula first he uses it on himself he goes back to normal and you know kind of apologizes to everyone about you know what he did and you know it's time to take the final fight to venom and i love how the issue ends because or I said final fates of Venom, but I meant Bane. <laughs> Venom being a big part of it, but Bane makes a like a world or a citywide broadcast about everyone to the city to join him and to be part of his you know army, and he'll uh, assumingly give them Venom, and anyone who doesn't, they will be crushed. So a good portion of people are going to Bane's base of operations, where they're looks like they're going to be part of his army and be infused with Venom. But at the same time, the final page is as Batman is. Because their plan is to put a new leader in charge of the Foot Clan once they stop Bane or to help them stop Bane. And that's where we get Batman going to you know, Rikers Island, the prison. We see Shredder in his prison cell. Batman just throws the bag of his costume with a Shredder helmet on there. And Shredder just goes, I was wondering when you'd show up or come for me. And that has me excited for the final issue. Hopefully, I've been wanting a Bane and Batman or a, a Batman and Shredder fight. It looks like we're going to get a Shredder versus Bane fight, which wouldn't be a bad consolation prize for not getting a one-on-one Batman and Shredder fight. Just them with their pure skill, because I know in the first arc, we got Batman in like a, a robot, like kind of like not a huge mech suit, but an enhanced suit, which was kind of a cheat in his fight for Shredder. So I don't count that as a true one-on-one Batman versus Shredder fight. So still waiting for that. And if we get that in the last issue, great, but I'm still looking forward to seeing Shredder take on Bane. So Sadly, only one more issue to go, but still, this series continues to be very enjoyable. So, um, probably not quite as good as the other four issues we've gotten in the second story arc, but still, like I said, very enjoyable and entertaining with some great character moments. So, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five 30-year-old pieces of chewing gum and baseball cards that, you know, turn to color black due to being so old and disgusting. <laughs> That's really a lot of gum, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it for us. Um, just go over to the BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash BatmanUniverse, Twitter handle is at BatmanUniverse. The show's Twitter handle is at BatfansPodcast. If you want to email the show, you can email the show at BatfansWithoutPants at gmail.com. Uh, Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG311, and my Twitter handle is at Dane Says Banana. Yeah, so that's it. Um, what do we say at the end of every single show, Tim? We gotta say, we love each and every one of you with all of our bad hearts. All of our bad hearts. So with that, we'll see you guys next time. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>